Okay. I'm sure you're all rested, aren't you? And you're just ready to take everything in. Y'all wish you were in bed right now, probably. You get till midnight? You mean you'll last till midnight? My Energizer Bunny batteries are like, they're on the downswing right now. Boy, how the times have changed. Oh my gosh. My wife's glad. I think she's been praying for this kind of thing for years. I know she has, actually. <laughs> Calm him down. Oh, boy. You know, I was uh, sitting with some folks over dinner and just made me realize I actually wish I could just sit with all of you five at a time, ten at a time, and just have dinner and talk. Probably change the way you think about me. Probably be a good thing, too. <laughs> I really love you. I want you to know that. I really care about you. Everything I've said here this weekend, uh, none of it, none of it, absolutely none of it was intended to hurt you or to make you feel unworthy. Um, I, I, I said it because I care about you. Sometimes we just need somebody you know, who loves us to knock us off dead center once in a while. Sometimes we get in a rut. Sometimes we're not, we're not challenged. You know, I read a book several years ago. It's probably eight years ago. Seems like several to me at my age. But I read this book. It was called Vital Signs. And it was a, a book of statistics done by a man named George Barna, taken from evangelical Christians, all evangelical Christians. And this guy is pretty accurate with his information. And he found that the majority of Christians in Bible-believing evangelical churches feel very unchallenged. And the number one thing they desired in a church was to be challenged. So I was just trying to fulfill that this weekend. I want you to know that. Okay, that's just, that's what I think actually we need often in our life. I need that. You know, interestingly enough, in pro basketball, there's about one guy in awe of all of them that doesn't need challenge. That's Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's a unique individual. He challenges himself and he raises his level of play. But just about everyone else needs challenge. And that's what a coach's job is, is to help get the most out of his players, to bring out the best in his players. I was watching a, a um, interview recently with a famous player, and I don't know his name. I think he's been in the league one or two years. And the coach said, you know, I, I just finally I had to sit down with him and take a different strategy. I was cutting him too much slack. You know, this is sounding real echoey up here for me. If you could change that, I'd appreciate it, guys. And um, he said, you know, I just sat him down and told him, here's some new rules you're going to have to abide by. I expect more from you. And this player has just blossomed. You know, just blossom. That's really what this weekend is about. It's beginning to understand that God wants to raise our level of play. Do you know, you have the regular season. You know, Andy, bless his heart, took me. I'd never been to a pro basketball game, and someone gave him some tickets the other day. These were like the $97 kind of tickets. Just like I felt like royalty, man. And he took me. We're sitting like three seats away from Kevin Gar from the floor. Basically, watching these guys play, and boy, it really is pretty easy for those guys, I got to tell you. It's unbelievable. The court seems like it's about as big as this stage, and, and they, they seem to be able to run up and down in about 15 steps. And I still believe they should raise the basket at least two feet. It's just not right. You know, if for them, it's like shooting down at the, at the projector. Oh, that was hard. Oh, let me put it in. Oh, gee, I guess I made a shot. It's just something. 
But you know, you have your regular season, and it's just that long grind, and then everybody will tell you that gets interviewed, the playoffs is different. The playoff, you play at a different level. And I asked myself, now why would you do that? You're getting paid $2 million a year? Why would all of a sudden you play at a different level? Sometimes as Christians, we're like that, you know? We're just kind of going along, and, and we're playing at a, let's just get by level. But God wants us to play at a let's conquer the world level. Do you follow me? God wants to raise our level of play because this game, we don't get to play over and over again. We each get one shot at life. And then it's over. And some of us it's over before our life's over. Because we've gotten into such a rut, we become so dull and so insensitive to the things of God that we spend years that way. Really, in a sense, dead before our time. So I just want you to know that uh, my desire this weekend is, is just really to stimulate your... Really to stimulate, and I use that word, I mean it. To stimulate your thinking. To give you something to think about, to ponder. To awaken you. As the Bible says, awake, O sleeper, it's time to arise. And get up. Your salvation is closer now than when you believed. And... Sometimes, you know, we just go through life and, and we just get caught up in the mundane things of life. We forget who we are and what I'm called to be and what God wants from my life and what I can be because of Christ. And I want to emphasize this. Everything I've said this weekend has been geared towards those of you that have already come to know Christ in a personal way. I wouldn't expect these things, nor would God, from someone here who does not know the Lord. I, when I come to these conferences, my goal, I'm targeting those of you that have already come to know the Lord Jesus personally. If you've not come to know the Lord yet, you take your time, you think about it, you ponder it. God, I'm sure, is speaking to your heart. And I just want you to know that the things I'm saying to these men and women in this room that know the Lord, well, they couldn't do these things without the Lord to begin with. None of the things that I'm sharing here tonight you would do to get your way into heaven. This isn't about let's become better people so God's happy with us. God's already happy with us because of Jesus. But the point is, is now that we have Him and we know Him, His love constrains us. And I want to serve Him. I want to give Him all that I've got. It's, it's, it's really kind of like being married. You know, even though my marriage has ups and downs, I'll tell you this, Kathy's got my heart and she's always had my heart and she always will and I love her. And it really brings me a lot of joy to show her that I love her. Just about every morning I get up, I'm the first guy up around the house, my oldest two are next. And I get up and I go to Super America and get her favorite cappuccino every morning. I'd go anywhere else she wanted, but she likes Super America. See, I don't really think I'm cheap or nothing. See, I just want to make that clear. It isn't like I said, look, you drink Super America cappuccino or none at all, okay? Because I ain't spending the money. You know, I love her. And I even got her this cute little refill mug. And it was, it was 81 cents a refill, but Super America had favor upon me, and they lowered it to 29 cents. So I go every morning, just about five, at least five days a week, and I get her that cappuccino, and, and I bring it into the bedroom, and I just set it there, and when she wants to get up and drink it, it's up to her. And I love her. I really love her. I show that love towards her, and all of you relate to this. You understand what I'm saying, and you would want this in your own marriage. 
by doing that which pleases her or trying. I don't always succeed because I have the flesh. But I try. Now, there's some things my wife knows, you know, that we won't do. And she understands that. My wife knows, you know, we're not going to spend our summers in the Caribbean. My wife knows that we're not going to drive around a Mercedes-Benz. My wife is called to serve the same Lord as I've been called. And she realizes that puts certain constraints on our life and on our materialism and the things that we get in life or don't get. We're not living, either one of us, for this world. But there are all kinds of little things and sometimes bigger things that I do to let her know, I want to please you, Kathy. I want to make you happy. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about living worthy of the Lord. I want to urge you to live worthy of the Lord. If you love Him, then show Him. You ought to love Him because He's loved you so much. The Lord's the best thing that ever happened to any of us in this room. Even if you're still considering coming to know Him, He's still the best thing that could ever happen to you. When you come to know the Lord, you won the spiritual lottery. And you're destined to heaven and in the meantime, between now and then, you have the living God working actively in your life. Working everything for good in your life. Building you, nurturing you, comforting you, stimulating your life, trying to bring out the best in you. Tonight I want to talk to you about an area that I'm sure is going to get some uh, feedback. And that's fine. And, 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 and it's sort of a delicate area. At the same time, the Bible speaks very directly to it. In fact, the first seven chapters of Proverbs basically all address this area. So I want us to pray. and I want you to ask God as I'm praying. Say, Lord, just give me a tender heart. Give me an open heart. Because I want to hear what you have to say to me, Lord. I know that you'd never do anything to rob me. You'd never try to withhold something from me. You have my best interest in mind all the time. You ever thought about this? So let me give you this thought before we pray. Everything in the Bible that God asks us to do, it doesn't benefit Him a bit if you do it or not. It's no skin off His back. God's not on a power trip. God made the washer... And he knows what will make the washer work the best. And he knows putting gasoline in it to wash your clothes will ruin your washer. So don't put gasoline in it. God made you. You're his finest creation. You're his model, his human prototype. And he knows what will make you function the best. He knows what will bring you maximum joy. He knows what will bring you the greatest satisfaction in life. And that is to live subject to His laws and His rules and not the laws of the flesh. We don't have to look very far, do we, any of us, to see the death, literal death, and also figurative death and destruction that sin is causing in the world. Do you have to look very far? We'll get into that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank You tonight for Your loving kindness and Your mercy, which You've shown to every one of us, Lord, in this room. Lord, you help us tonight. Give us an open heart. Because, Lord, you know what kind of a country we live in. You know, Lord, how hedonistic it is. You know that our society, Lord, is so sexually oriented. I just ask you, God, that you'd help us as men and women 
to have a heart here tonight that says, Lord, look, I want to honor you. I want to please you. I want to live in a way worthy of you, to please you. Might we have as our prayer, Lord, tonight, the verse in Corinthians we looked at today that says, I've made it my ambition to please the Lord. Give us a tender heart, Lord, and you just speak through me, Lord. This isn't about me. My goodness, this is about you. I'm just a clay pot. A chipped one at that. You're, you're the treasure in earth and vessels, Lord. You're the one we've come to hear and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to 1 Peter 2. First Peter chapter 2. You know, we read earlier verse 9 about how you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. That's a big part of why God called us. That's really the Great Commission, that we might declare His praises, that we might proclaim Him. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, I urge you, I charge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. First notice that we are aliens and strangers in the world. How many of you felt that? Ever felt that way? And there we go. That's that's a, another fairly good sign that you know the Lord. You don't feel comfortable here. I don't feel comfortable here. The Bible tells us about Lot later on in Peter that night and day Lot's righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds of wicked men. Lot, you know, was living in Sodom and Gomorrah just before God destroyed it. It's tormenting living on this planet. It's painful. It's hard. I'm not at home here. This hasn't felt like home to me for 21 years. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. And we're not going to be here very long. And so what God wants in our lives is that we abstain from sinful desires that those who live on the planet who aren't aliens, they don't abstain from at all. It's normal to them. They live, eat, drink, and breathe sin. Well, we're aliens and strangers. We don't breathe the same air. We don't get off on the same things. God wants us to live that way and to abstain from those things, to avoid them. To stay away from them. To not allow them to have dominion over our lives. And notice again, they wage war against your soul. Remember I asked you earlier, how many of you felt like you're at war? Well, that's what happens. Those desires wage war against you. As a younger person, I didn't feel the war at all. I like sinful desires. I didn't really feel a, you know, my conscience bothered me. That's something totally different. After a while, it didn't bother me because I seared it enough. 
Now, it's in about a conscience. I'm at war. I can feel the war, the tug, the pull of the flesh trying to drag me back down into the ditch that I came out of. And it's relentless. And it's endless. And it happens over and over and over and over and over again. And then he tells us that here's the point. Live such a good life. What does that mean? Live such an upright life. Live such a holy life that your life is so good and wholesome and righteous among pagans that though they accuse you of wrong, and they will, they'll make things up. At first, they may see your good deeds. And that doesn't mean just your good deeds towards them. It means your good style of living your positive, righteous lifestyle. That when God visits us, they will glorify God. What does that mean? It means they've come to know the Lord and they're excited to see Him come. Because of your upright and righteous life. I want you to go to Romans chapter 13. I have a number of verses here I want you to look at first. I always want to take you to the Scriptures because I don't want your faith to rest on what I'm saying I want your faith to rest on the Word of God and then, and then realize I'm only commenting on what God has written. <clears throat> Romans 13, verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. Well, and do this is referring to all the things above that he's just told. Basically, the commands. The hour has come, and this is what I was talking about earlier this evening, for you to wake up from your slumber. How many of you feel like times you get into a spiritual slumber? Into a lull, right? Okay, that, that's what I'm talking about. And that's why I spoke to you as frankly as I did last night and tonight. I'm taking a little different tone tonight. Because I think you're awake. I really do. I, I, at least from the number of conversations I've had, I think, you know, we got your attention. I think you're awake. Your eyes are open. Your ears are ready. Wake up because your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. In other words, this long night of being here, it's almost over, brother and sister. I really expect the Lord before I die. If I live a normal life, if I live to 65 or 70, I personally expect the Lord to be back for us before that time. I don't even know if I'll have grandchildren, if I'll be, be around long enough, but we'll have to see. No man knows the day or the hour, but I believe we can know the signs of our times, and I believe the hour's close. In light of that, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Why does he say, let us behave decently as in the daytime? Have you ever noticed that most all the wicked kind of things that happen, happen in a dimly lit bar and dance club at night? They happen at night. Why? 
Because we love the darkness. You know what John says? The book of John says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. And they did not want their evil deeds exposed. That's why most crime happens at night. That's why most immorality happens at night. Sneaking around at night. It's because we're more comfortable. We're creatures of the dark by nature. But God has made us children of the light. And you know, we didn't think of doing a lot of things that people do in the daylight. You know, it's daylight. I don't feel very comfortable doing it. You know, let's be honest about that. We, we don't. That's good. Now, I try to think about that all the time. You're in the daylight. You're a child of the light, whether it's midnight or whether it's 12 in the afternoon. And let's behave decently. You had to go look that up sometime, the word decent. With propriety. With uprightness, with integrity. Not in orgies, drunkenness. By the way, I just want to tell something to you. A little history lesson. Someone, oh, Kathy. Kathy Hummel gave me a book for Christmas, I think it was, called uh, Paul the Traveler. And I'm pretty sure the guy who wrote it is not a believer. But I don't know that for sure. The book goes into Paul's life. Now I want to tell you something about Rome. Rome in Paul's day was absolutely the most vile, despicable, wicked, sexually oriented empire you can possibly imagine. Some of the passages I read in this book made me physically ill. The things that the emperors would do on their islands. It's sick. Paul is writing to these Romans in these days. Orgies were normal. You go to the temple, just have a big orgy. Everyone having sex with everybody else. That's the way they would worship. They were lewd. They were vile. Many of the emperors were gay. They were extremely perverted. They were sodomites. They were into bestiality. Many of the emperors had sex with animals. You would not believe the wickedness and the vileness of the Roman Empire. And eventually it was destroyed because of it. Totally destroyed. The Bible says moral rot will destroy a nation. And Paul is writing to them, listen, behave decently. You know how different that would have been to have been a Roman? Behave decently? you got to be kidding. You know, people hear us say this today in America, we go, come on. Well, imagine you're in Rome. Don't get drunk. Don't be involved in sexual immorality and debauchery, which means just vile sexual practices. Or in dissension or jealousy. Man, you read about some of the emperors, their jealousy, they'd kill their brother to get his wife. John the Baptist was beheaded, if you remember, because he spoke out against the king. I think it was... I don't remember his name. I'd have to go back and read it so I won't misquote it. Because he, he married his brother's wife. He took his brother's wife. And John the Baptist spoke up about it, so the, this woman was so angry about it at one of these parties when his daughter was dancing, providing this lewd, sensual entertainment, his own daughter. For all the people in his, in his court that day, 
He got drunk, lost his head. He said, ask me for anything on you wherever you want. He says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. This man was frightened, but he made an oath and he didn't want to look stupid in front of his guests. So he brought up John the Baptist, cut his head off right there. Folks, we're talking about a very vile society that these Christians were trying to reach. Corinth was worse. You know, sometimes I've had some of you come up to me and, and I realize you love the Lord. I want you to know this before I say this. I realize you're good-hearted and you love the Lord, and, but, but you're hard. You know, you come up, Mark, this stuff shouldn't be going on at Evergreen. Well, well, I agree. Shouldn't have been going on in Corinth either. But you got to be patient with people. You got to remember what they come out of. We come out of very sinful backgrounds, many of us, very wicked backgrounds, and they did it Corinth. Corinth was a vile Gentile city. Paul didn't lower the standard. Paul rebuked him. Paul was strong with them. Paul was also patient. So you got to do both. And you got to do both. That's part of leadership. Go with me, if you would, to Ephesians 5. Ephesians was also a Gentile city. Ephesus, excuse me, not Ephesians. Ephesus 5. We're going to start with verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. First, you want to underline imitators of God. That's really our high call. Imitate God. Be like God. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, among who? The believers. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. You're not sinners anymore. You're God's holy people. And these things are inappropriate for us. <coughs> Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather... Thanksgiving. We ought to be thankful people. The Living Bible says, rather remind one another of God's goodness and be thankful. For of this you can be sure, this is very important, no habitually immoral, habitually impure, habitually greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, friends, I want to tell you something, all right? Someone who comes into your midst, maybe into, your, into the congregation, into Evergreen, and they start coming. Evergreen, remember, is a place where we're trying to reach lost people for Christ. Do you have a person who comes around and they say they know the Lord and they're habitually sleeping around, they're habitually hitting on the women or... Women hitting on the men. I don't know if that happens so often, but he could. And they're habitually greedy. And they're habitually sexually oriented. There's probably a very good chance they don't know the Lord. First of all, you need to understand that. 
Second of all, God is trying to help us see here that don't you understand we shouldn't have a part of this because this is the very reason God's wrath is going to come on disobedient people, on the world, on the world. And I want to tell you something. You can read about it for your own pleasure some night. Probably won't give you much pleasure, probably frighten you to death. When you read about what God is going to do to this society, to this world, to this planet, before he judges them and then sends them to hell. The tribulation and the wrath that's going to come at the end of it is not a pretty sight. God hates sin, and eventually, God has done two things. Two major things as a warning to the entire world. He did them out in the open. They are very well documented. They are very well known. But these foolish idiots deny they happened. One, the flood, and two, Sodom and Gomorrah. You wonder why all the rocks, and those of you that study geology, and all the fossil records all mixed up and all that kind of stuff? Have you ever wondered that? It's because of the flood. Frankly, there is no proof at all. Someone who's much more articulate at this, you can ask them later. Maybe Mike Higgins or Dave Jones or someone else in this room. Because I haven't read up on this. I know it's just a few tidbits. There is really no proof for glaciers carving giant things in Minnesota. We're talking flood people. Have you, you know what a flood in the entire world would do to the mountains, to the earth, to the ground, to the trees? Besides the fact they found Noah's Ark. You know what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah? Every single person in Sodom and Gomorrah, every male, what they call it sodomy, because they were sodomites. They had sex with other men. And God told Lot, he said, you get out of this city. Take your wife, take your children, and do not turn around and look back. I'm going to destroy it with fire from heaven. And God did just what he said. Except Lot's wife couldn't resist. She turned around and instantly became a pillar of salt. I want to tell you something all right, about God. Sin is not a joke to God. This is not a joke. He's very serious about what he will eventually bring on the world because of their sin. Now in light of that, in light of our understanding of that, that we serve a holy God, we just ought to be people who go, you know what, I want to show that our God's righteous. And I want to show that our God's upright. And we do that not by, I'm not going to go get in people's face, you know, and wear a little sandwich board says, turn or burn! You know, I, I don't think that's appropriate. Jesus himself did not do that. Although Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And there's appropriate times to talk about that. Jesus was very loving. He was very kind. He was very honest that sin will destroy your life. And sin will destroy your life as a Christian. You can never lose your salvation. If you know the Lord, you're going to be with the Lord no matter what happens in your life. But sin can still destroy your life. And then we go on here to verse 8. For you were once darkness... Look at that. We weren't even, he didn't even call us children of the darkness. He says, we were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. See, we don't automatically know. Don't be hard on yourself. Some of you, some of the things I've said this week, you've never heard before. That's okay. 
We're growing. We're in a growing process trying to find out what pleases the Lord. Someone was uh, commenting to me earlier that a friend was sharing with him, man, alive, I'm just wiped out. I can't live up to that. Well, we're all growing to find out what pleases the Lord more and more. It's a process. I'm just trying to help you understand what the standard is, what God wants, and then we grow at that. We go after that. If you think that you know, Mark's talking about sinless perfection, I quit. I'll hand in my resignation card tomorrow. But we're going after that which God laid hold of us for, to be righteous and to walk uprightly and righteously before God. Have nothing to do with the fruit. Have nothing to do. That's a command. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. I just want to make it very clear to you that this was Paul's theme in almost every book that he wrote, and God wrote them. And again, remember that Paul is writing all of these to Gentile, wicked cities in that period of history. We start with verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live. And that's, um, brothers and sisters, that's what I'm doing here this week. In some small ways, I'm instructing you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, I know you're trying to live. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. For you know the instruction we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, set apart. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sin as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject me, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you rejected him as in salvation. It means you rejected the instruction and it came from God. God wants us to avoid sexual immorality. Let me just describe, just in case there's a question here. Sexual immorality is any sex outside of marriage. Including sex between two people who really love each other and plan on it. I didn't write this. I didn't write the rules. God did. God designed you for a reason. I have counseled. 
with hundreds of couples now in the 10 years that I've been a pastor. And I'll just tell you right now that you're just simply going to have problems in your marriage as a result of premarital sex. It's going to create distrust. It's going to be baggage that you bring to the marriage and you're going to have to overcome it. Now, God can help you overcome it, but I'll tell you this, it took my wife and I a long time. And I'm not proud of that. It took us a long time to overcome the things from our past. It created a tremendous amount of turmoil in our marriage. And if there's one thing, you know, I've told you this before, I don't have any regrets. Well, I do, I have one. There's only one thing I wish I could go back and change in my life. And I mean that. I wish I'd never been immoral. I believe that the greatest problem in America, period, isn't heroin, isn't alcoholism, is sex. And the abuse of it. It is costing us billions of dollars in health care. It has been the result of the slaughter of millions of babies that were unwanted because somebody got pregnant, they didn't want to be pregnant. If you called the CDC in Atlanta, Georgia, they would give you statistics over the phone on herpes, which is not curable, on disease, sexually transmitted diseases all over this nation. And blow your mind. All because we simply refused to submit to what God told us, which was for our good to begin with. God isn't trying to keep the candy from you. He's trying to preserve the, the candy so that once you get it, you'll think it's really good. I can't tell you how many people's lives, how many men's lives I've watched destroyed because of their addiction to sex and pornography. How many women, how many women that I've dealt with and is there with their husband there who don't want anything to do with sex? And it's like, so, it's so painful in the relationship. God created this to be this wonderful thing, but they have so many bad connotations connected to it because it was never in a relationship with the person they were married where there was commitment and real love and real righteousness. God never intended it for, for it to be that way. God made it, you know. God made it. It's not like something dirty and vile and filthy. It's something wonderful and beautiful. In fact, it's as holy as prayer. But oh man, we just have so many hang-ups when it comes to sex because of the vile, filthy world that we live in. And the devil's used it to destroy people's lives. God wants us to avoid it. He wants us to learn to control our own body and it's something we have to learn. Once again, you see that? It's not something you okay, do it right now. We've got to know what, what the goal is, where we're headed, and then we learn to do it. We grow in it, and we're going to talk about that a little bit tomorrow. Go to 1 Peter 1, verse 15. We already looked at that one today, so don't turn there. Let's go to 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 8. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know the law is made for the righteous. Not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for adulterers, perverts, for slave traders, 
liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of our blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Once again, we see that's, that's what the world is about. We're to be about something different when we came to the gospel. We're to be about something completely different. In 2 Timothy, also chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9. We find Paul writing, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. And then go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. So that someone was asking me today about baptism. This is what baptism represents. It's symbolic that you died. And when you go down under the water, that you were buried, and that you were raised when you come up out of the water to newness of life. And that's what we were. We died. Now we're alive to Christ. Christ is our life. So look at verse 5. Put to death. Kill, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. You see, there once again, in both Ephesians and Colossians, after Paul talks about living worthy of the Lord, then he goes into, in the following few paragraphs, what he means by that. God wants us to be people who are upright, not snobs, not holier than thou, but people who genuinely, from the heart, live in an upright and righteous manner. God has called us to be holy people, people who set ourselves apart from sin and go in pursuit of righteousness and purity. So, number one, we should be people of the highest moral standards. Alright, we should be people of the highest moral standards. There shouldn't even be a hint of immorality among us or petting, or carousing, or any other impurity. That shouldn't be what we're about. Now, saying that, is it going to happen? Of course it's going to happen. People are going to fall, and they're going to need help getting back up when they fall. My goal here tonight is to help warn you before you fall. It's to try to help you avoid that fall. 
and to let you know this is what God has called us to. I have helped, I want you to know, I've helped countless, I can't even count the number of men and women that I've helped through affairs, not through them, after them. After immorality. And picked up the pieces. But I just want you to know ahead of time that God wants to be people of the highest moral standards. He wants us to keep our relationship with the opposite sex pure and totally above board. This is very important in the church. This is very important. Listen. Guys, men with the Holy Spirit shouldn't need any sensitivity training whatsoever. Because we ought to be the most sensitive guys in the world. When I'm talking about sensitive, I don't mean in touch with our feminine side. What I'm talking about here is as it results to sexual issues in the workplace, in the church, etc., etc. This isn't a meat market. You know, this is an open season on the girls. They are God's kids. Be real careful. Be real careful. Some of you, you know, maybe you, you see some gal here, you think, wow, she's kind of attractive, she's kind of special, I'd like to go out with her. You ask her out on a date. That's fine. If she tells you she's not interested, leave her alone. You have no idea how many times, you know, big, you be careful because these girls got some big brothers, guys. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I, I'm very serious about that. I want you to know that. Okay? They got some big brothers, and we're here to help. And we're not going to beat nobody up or nothing like that. But we'll come to you two or three at a time and we'll lean on you. And we'll let you know, listen, she told you, she told you. Now we want to ask you, stop bothering her. And if that won't work, then I advise him to call the police. This isn't a game. Okay, this isn't a game. She shouldn't have to tell you one ton of times, you know, ten times, fifteen times, twenty times. And if you really believe it's from God, then fine, wait on God and God will make it happen. And God will soften her, soften her hard heart. If that's what you think it is. And it may well be. So you wait on God and God will work in your life. I'll get to you girls in a minute. Your time's coming, okay? <laughs> Don't worry, guys. I try to be equitable here. But I do want you to know that as men, I believe we, God's given us a, a bigger responsibility. I really do. You've been to Promise Keepers. You already know that. I'm not going to get into all that. I believe God's holding us to a big responsibility. And I hope you girls don't mind I say this, but the Bible says it, so I'm going to say it. We should guard them as the weaker sex because that's what they are. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Talk to your Creator. He made you that way. We need to be very careful and we need to be very uh, understanding and we need to be very cautious in our relationships. Ephesians 4, chapter 17. Let's see what it says there. I don't remember. Maybe we already looked at it. Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you this,
Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ in this way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him according to the truth. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being always corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. I insist on it. God insists on it. We should be people of the highest moral standard now. Now. Are we all? No. Some of you have only known the Lord a year. You're growing. We understand that. I want you to know that. We understand that. We understand that. And we're here to help you grow. And I just don't want to scare you guys. I mean, you know, we'll be patient with you. But if a girl starts to get uncomfortable and she talks to her small group leader, then we just may have a talk with you. At least we'll start with a small group leader. We won't bring the pastors in yet. They'll talk with you. And they'll be loving and they'll be kind and they'll be understanding. They'll say, you know, Bob, I was just wondering, you know, a Betty called me. Oh, sorry, I don't mean Betty here. I was trying to find a, a homogeneous name, you know. We just call it Ethel. No one here is named Ethel. Okay. Did I, anybody named Ethel? Okay, good. So, Ethel, listen, Ethel's been, you know, it's, it's been upsetting for her. She mentioned, well, first of all, she mentioned you, you've called in the last month about 30 times and you've, you've asked her out. Uh, is it true that you've been calling? Well, not 30 times. Well, well, how many times did you say? Well, 15. Okay, 15. And, uh, and she mentioned that she says, has said no each time. And, well, yeah, but you know, you've got to persevere. Well, Joe, with this, you don't persevere. With this, you quit. Okay. I don't want to make you too gun shy. The girls are really going to get upset with me. You know, <laughs> got to be careful here. Okay. Let me read this to you, brothers. Brothers, first, you should guard your sisters. Notice, I said that your sisters—they are your sisters. And if some guys used your physical sister like some of us maybe sometimes are tempted to do or we get caught in, you know, we wouldn't stand for that. Brothers, you should guard your sisters by never putting them in a compromising situation. Be careful in your behavior and speech that you are righteous and holy rather than charming, fleshly, and seductive. It's real easy to be charming, isn't it? It's real easy to fall back, you know, and try to wow her and play these games. I, I see the games. My goodness, you know, I'm 40. I've lived for a while. I see the games. One time, Doug may remember this one time, a long time, this is many, many years ago, our college students, you know, a lot of them had come to know the Lord, they weren't very young in the Lord, and they were having World Federation wrestling matches, the guys and the girls. That, that was one of their, you know, little things they do, they get together after the small group, they have a big wrestling match on the floor. 
So I had a talk with all of them. Like a loving father. I said, hey, guys, let's talk. What do you think happens when, you know, you're rolling around on the floor? You don't wrestle girls. Guess what? It was the girls who started it. So I said, now, girls, you don't do this kind of thing, okay? You don't do this to young men. And you told men either, but you don't do this. Or the time they, they all went over to a, a friend's house that had a swimming pool. They all thought they'd play keep away in the swimming pool. Yeah, that works real well. Bodies bumping all over the place. People's suits getting ripped off. You know, that works real good. Let's use our heads, folks. As men, we are, I don't, I'm not going to put my sister in a compromising situation. I don't, you know, I, I hope none of you are offended by this, but if you are, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I don't even meet alone with women. At all. None of the pastors do. I'll talk to them over the phone, and I'll try to help, but, but I won't meet alone with them. I, don't, I, don't, I care about their reputation, and I care about mine. More I care about God's. Sisters. You should guard your brothers by never putting them in a compromising situation. Be careful in your behavior and speech that you are righteous and holy rather than flirtatious and seductive. Proverbs has a lot to say about a flirtatious woman. Be really careful with each other. You know, let me give you just a few examples of what I might mean. You know, so you know your mind isn't wondering about some crazy thing, you know. I remember this again was a long time ago. Brother, really nice brother, just a dear guy, really dear guy, genuine and sincere. A lot of guys, they don't realize this kind of thing. That's why I'm, I'm kind of saying this. I think it will educate a lot of us. He was just really nice to the sisters. He wasn't really partial. He was just nice to a lot of them. A couple in his little group there. And, and you know, he'd send them flowers and write them nice little cards. And pretty soon we had about three or four girls had a crush on him. They were all crazy about the guy. So we came to him and said, Bro, listen, um, you, you can't send a girl flowers like this and send a card that says, Love your brother in Christ. I mean, because what that says to a woman is, You're special and I like you. And, and her emotions get all stirred up. Well, gee, I'm just being nice. I know you were. I'm not saying you're a bad guy. I'm just saying, you know, you have to be very cautious in your communication. I'm with my children, my two oldest children, you know, they obviously discovered the opposite sex a year or two ago. I don't know the exact day or the hour. <laughs> I think it was at LT when they went to the summer at LT. And, and obviously, you know how young kids are. They're all exchanging addresses. And my daughter, my daughter's a letter writer, man. Like, she'll write five or six a week. She's unbelievably disciplined. She'll write to guys and to girls, girls and to guys. My son, he writes, you know. And, and I told him, I said, here's the deal. I read your letters. This first summer, I read your letters before they go. Why, Dad? I said, well, it had nothing to do with trust. I trust you completely. It has to do with learning how to articulate to the opposite sex right from the beginning. Because if you don't, son, I tell you right now, you're going to have girls that got the hots for you. Not because of any feelings you have, but because of some missaid word in your letter. Say, it's true with my daughter. So that, they let me read the letters, and I read the letters that came back. 
And some of them were pretty out there. And some I could tell I had hormones written all over them. And I said, now, now, Celeste, okay, here's, you need to write back. Let me help you with this letter. You need to write back, let them know right up front. Hey, I just want to make sure there's no misunderstanding here. I'm not interested in a boyfriend. I'm not interested in et cetera, et cetera. I just care about you as a brother and as a friend. So, you know, it's good to learn that stuff when you're young and you're impressionable and you haven't learned all these bad habits. <clears throat> I think, uh, ladies, I think you need to be careful. And I know this one's going to, somebody's just going to crucify me for this. <laughs> but it's biblical. And Doug will back me up on this. So will Andy and Randy. And anyone else who knows the scripture. Just be careful how you dress. And be careful. Some of you are very touchy. Okay? And I don't want you to stop being who you are. Just be careful. You know, hey Doug, come up here now. I want to demonstrate this. Come here. Come here. Come on, Doug. I told you this. You know what I'm saying, brother? You get up here. Come on up here, Doug. My beloved one. Sweetheart. Now, I want you to know I've never done this before. I mean, in front of people. I've never done this. Stay right there, Doug. Just stay there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're not here. Okay, I've never done this before, and I'm not really doing this because I think there's a humongous problem. I'm just trying to avoid any potential problem and any potential thing that could possibly happen. And so I'm going to show you something about hugging. Okay, that's what I'm going to show you. If my wife was here, I'd show you, but she's not. So Doug, Doug's safe, okay? I want you to know. So, this, you ever seen... This just happens when I'm around teenagers, or I see teenagers doing this, but I've seen this sometimes with singles. I've got to turn this off, Doug, because electricity will go wild. Here. Okay, just a second. <laughs> okay, okay, maybe. Okay, okay, here we go. Okay. This, in my opinion, this is Mark's opinion, as your pastor, as a friend, you can talk to your small group leaders about it, but I know Andy and Randy will be really excited about this. This is not a good idea. Okay, now I'm back on. I see that go on. And I just want you to know it's probably not a good idea. It's probably not a good idea. So, let me show you maybe a good idea of a hug. And this is up to you. And by the way, here's another thing to know. If hugging bothers you, you know, or you're in a small group, don't, don't be afraid at all to say that. Just to say, you know, hey, I, no thanks. Or, you know, I'd rather not hug, I'm, you know. There, you have to understand that we're, Evergreen is, you know, it's a family of believers. It really is. And, and by and large, most of what goes on is extremely, I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of you. Doug and I both are. I just, all I want you to do is be careful. That's all I'm saying here. I want you to be careful, you know. So this maybe is kind of how you know we're going to... Back on. Not this 15 second, 20 second, you know, this kind of thing. You know, if you girls want to hug each other like that, just go right ahead. You guys, you want to hug each other like that? You go right ahead. See, I, I believe you go now, Doug. Thank you, Doug. 
Oh, let's show them how to shake hands. Yeah, I'll get to that too. Oh, do you want to demonstrate that too? See, the Bible says about four times in the Testament, greet one another with a holy kiss. Whenever I go to Honduras, I start getting kissed. You know, but it's not like you think. It's just like they come up, peck you on the cheek, and they, they they're hardly huggies. It's just a cultural thing. You know, you're there. It's cultural. I don't really go down around doing it to a lot of other people, quite frankly, because it, it would lead me open to accusations. It really will. I hate to say that. I hate to even realize sometimes what kind of world I live in, but but it's the truth. And I and I'm, and I'm an affectionate person by nature. I care about people a lot. I really do. But you know, we just have to be really cautious. We have to be really cautious. We have to use our head. And I'll be standing at the door sometime. I'll be standing shaking hands. And I've had women come up and just plant a huge kiss on my cheek, leave lipstick right there. Okay, I'm trying to get it off before the next person comes through, you know. I mean, I don't solicit that. It's not something I think is a great idea. Some people just come by totally overcome with emotion. They either got saved that morning or... I mean, you, you know, you've been there. You know what the experience can be like sometimes. I don't think it's because of any attraction to me at all. I think it was really like what the woman did to Jesus' feet when she came to realize so much love from him and she wept on his feet and washed them with her hair. It's very important. Many, many years ago, this is another story, and the Lord worked it out in a beautiful way. But it was a couple small group leaders. They were just friends. Just good friends. That's all. I had no interest in one another at all. But sometimes they'd plan their small group like, uh, you know, their best hours were 11 till 1 in the morning. And one night, they just slept together. Next day, we're picking up the pieces, you know. Today, they're, they're both doing great. and they're, they're married and they've gone on to, very, to other people and they've gone on to productive, wonderful Christian lives. Oh, I understand those things. Those things happen. My gosh, what I'm saying is, it's like, it's like Proverbs says, Guys, can a man take fire in his bosom and not get burned? You get too close to the fire, you will get burned. Hormones and passion will take over. Or if you spend a lot of time, you know, here's another thing that happens with, with uh, I've seen this with gals and guys. And I, I'm just sharing this with you tonight, and you just take it for what it's worth. But I've had this happen a number of times. Girls will call on the phone, and, and they'll go, oh, Mark, I'm having a really hard time. You know, I've been uh, spending time with this guy in the small group. We were just friends. It started out as just friends, but now I'm, I really love him, and, and I don't know what to do, and I, I don't think he loves me. And sure enough, he, he doesn't. He just, you know, wanted someone, they go out to eat once in a while or go to the movies together or do whatever together. And, and I've had to tell him, look, you, you can't do that. The best thing to be doing in a group, you start to do it alone with her. And you may think to yourself as a guy, you know, we're just friends. You sit across from a table with icon. Do you know the number one cause, actually, for uh, intimacy? Number one reason for intimacy is prolonged eye contact. And you sit there listening, just Mr. Understanding. This girl is going to fall in love with you. Kindness makes a man attractive. You know, I used to not understand this. My wife, you know, she'd tell me, Mark, you got to be careful. And I said, you know, I'd say, well, Kathy, I'm, my goodness, I'm not a good-looking guy. I'm just, I'm nothing. She says, Mark, you're charismatic. You may not understand that at all, 
what that means. But you gotta be, you just be careful. And I listen to her. I listen to her sometimes, quite frankly, that I'm just not myself. I just, when I get around in certain situations, I don't act like me at all. Because I know it would not, it would not, uh, it would come across wrong. I, I tone down. With my wife, I can be who I am, and, and, but I get around other people and I'm, I'm very cautious. I don't want to bring any dishonor to the Lord. It, it just breaks my heart. It would break my heart to bring dishonor to the Lord. Um, you know, the whole, I, I know that uh, Mark Bowen talked to you about uh, finding the love of your life and all that. I'm not going to go into that this weekend. Maybe some other time we go into that. But I want to touch on the area of dating just a little bit, okay? Just briefly. You all here, you're young adults. Some of you are middle-aged adults. You're hopefully mature. Got a level head on your shoulders. You're going to have to make your decision when it comes to dating. I'll just tell you for me, someone was asking me this tonight at the supper table, asking me how I met my wife, asking me about the whole issue. And, and the first thing that I did after I came to know the Lord besides apologize to my family for my awful behavior and ask their forgiveness was I stopped dating. I knew it had to go for me. It had to go for me because I knew it would derail my Christian life. Remember Samson up here today? I loved that, that drama. I, re I really liked that. Samson couldn't keep his eye off the women and ruined his life. God had called him to something as holy as you've been called to. Something marvelous, something wonderful. But Samson never, never had any discipline in his life, never any self-control. He could never, would never, I should say, say no. And it got him killed. It got his eyes gouged out with a hot iron. It ruined his life. And it really, in a sense, God used him, but it, it was far less than God really wanted to do with Samson. And I've known many men like that. And I just want to warn you lovingly about dating and the practice of dating. Be really careful. Be really careful. And always remember that if you go out with the opposite sex, that's fine. That's one thing. But messing around, that isn't a gray area. That's wrong. Be really cautious. And if you do date, hopefully you'll be dating another believer because the Bible says not to be unequally yoked. So you don't even consider dating an unbeliever. And secondly, you should always be on your most upright, moral, godly behavior. And you should always be mindful of the fact that this is a son or daughter of God. And your determination should be, as it says in Romans, to determine not to put a stumbling block in your brother or sister's way. And things we say or do or the way we look sometimes can be a stumbling block. Be careful. All I'm saying is be careful. Be upright. Be righteous. Be noble in spirit. Be noble in the way you live. Be noble and godlike in the way you interact with the opposite sex. If you're having trouble with this area, please call your small group leader, or Randy, or Andy, or Doug, or myself, or any one of the other pastors you might feel comfortable with, and get some help. Our desire is never, ever to beat you down. Our desire is to help you. We realize people get trapped in situations. We realize people feel powerless against situations. I've dealt with every kind. I've dealt with men who have struggled tremendously with pornography. It's a very difficult thing. Man, we got, you got, even got it in your own motel room here. It's pathetic. 
Everywhere you go, we're bombarded with it over and over and over and over again. It's a very, very hurtful thing. Some of you gals, some of the reasons, you know, your life is so revolved around men generally doesn't tend to be sexual in nature towards you. It's because of your insecurities. Because you don't feel complete without a man. Because you don't feel you don't feel like you're something without one around. Well, you are. But that's also going to take time to overcome. And if you don't develop that, chances are you're going to marry the wrong guy anyway. And you're going to really be let down. So you see, I don't want to see any of that happen to you. What I'm trying to say here tonight is I'm not trying to keep anything from you, nor is God I'm trying to save you for the best. I'm trying to preserve you so that God can give you all that He wants to give you in Jesus Christ. And then uh, number two, or number three, whatever I'm on. I guess I'm on number two. Turn to 1 Peter 4. Uh, let's see if I've already read that one. 1 Peter 4. Yeah, I read that one. In 1 Peter 2, 11. Yeah, I read that one. So I'll just make this statement. Our lifestyles should be different than the world. Our lifestyles should be different than the world. And we should be people who do that which promotes wholesome living. Paul says in Corinthians, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are permissible, but not all things edify. When I said earlier today, you know, that I don't think going to the dance club is a good thing to do, I meant it. Why did I say that? Well, you know, have you ever seen Soul Train? Have you ever been to some of the dance clubs? Usually it's, you know, it's just a meat market. It doesn't promote anything wholesome. It doesn't promote anything really winsome. And it's usually going to be really hard on your flesh. So the Bible simply says, right, make no provision for the flesh with regard to its lust. So I'm saying don't make a provision for it. I guess we could say that about a lot of things. We could say that about magazines. Maybe there's magazines that used to have. I remember talking to a young man. He's not here anymore. Uh, he's gone. But he was in, he'd gotten engaged in, to a gal that from some other place and some other church. He came over one day and she said, Mark, you know, I'm, I'm really having a hard time. I, I, I love him and I want to get married, but, uh, you know, I found out he subscribes to Playboy. And, and, he, and he's a Christian, and he justifies it. He says they're collector's items. And you know, the sad thing was, he really, he really believed that. He really meant it. You know, people... Um, I don't have Sports Illustrated magazine for a reason. And I don't want the swimsuit edition ended up in my mailbox. I have two sons. I don't want them going through the crap I went through. You know, I am just, I am so encouraged. There is such a difference between my son at 15 and 16 and me at 15 and 16. I couldn't even begin to handle junior college at his age. Do you know why? 
Because my eyes would have been on the women all day long. I wouldn't even be able to have my head on straight. My son, we talk about this real openly. He's doing fine. Plus, he's got his sister there with him all the time. It's a beautiful system. (laughs) They just keep each other accountable. They really do. So different than when I was that age. And a lot of us, you know, we fed so much, male or female, we we fed the flesh so much in that area that it's not just going to, you're going to decide one day, well, I think that'll just say bye-bye to all that. It'd be good to decide that, and I would encourage you to decide that at this conference. But you're going to need help. You're going to need help. And you're going to need to do some things to make sure you overcome in that area. And you're going to need to pray about it, and you're going to need friends to help you. And you're going to to avoid your old hangouts and your old friends. Or you'll get sucked right back into it. And you know what? It hurts worse after you came to know the Lord. I, I hate to break the news to you. But I've also experienced that, and I'm not proud of that. When I came to know the Lord at 15, that was really sold on serving the Lord and following the Lord. But I just decided one day, you know, here's what happened. What happened was I got tempted by Delilah, the Delilah in my life. I was 16, and I had the lead in the musical Bye Bye Birdie, and I was Conrad Birdie. And my friend had been going out with this girl, really attractive girl. You know, it just, it's all a matter of opinion anyway. So that was my opinion. They broke up. And you know how it is when you're in high school. The girlfriend comes and tells you, if you ask someone so out, they'll go out with you because I wasn't about to make a fool of myself and, and be rejected. So I only waited to find out if somebody would do it and then I'd take the risk. I knew I shouldn't have asked. I knew I shouldn't have done it. I knew she probably didn't know the Lord. I knew we had very different standards. But, you know, it was an ego trip. Just this would be very honest. For me, it was an ego thing. So I asked, and she said, yeah. So we started going out, and, you know, I started out just a perfect gentleman, you know, and and and, and I, was, I never thought about doing anything crazy, which could, you know, embarrass my family and embarrass me and et cetera, et cetera. So we'd gone out about three or four months, and one night we were over at her house, and we were watching this show. I don't remember what the show was, if it was the first Three's Company or if it was way back when. It was about this couple living together. And I don't know why that night I just said, you know, I just, I don't, that's not right. And she said, what do you mean it's not right? I think it's great. And then she said, well, you hang around long enough with me and I'll change the way you think. And I was just like Proverbs says, a deer being led to slaughter, a stag with an arrow through his soul. And I didn't leave and I didn't say goodbye. And before you knew it, all I thought about was sex. It opened up Pandora. I mean, I, it almost destroyed my life as a young man. I don't want that for you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you ladies, you know what I'm talking about. God has something better for you. He has something better for you. Our whole society is littered with throwaways, is it not? It's littered with people being used by somebody else and thrown away. Sin hurts. Sexual immorality will destroy your life. Listen, walk away from it. 
If you're in a relationship right now, you know you shouldn't be, walk away from it. That was the third thing. Actually, let me back up. That was the very first thing I did the night I committed my life to the Lord. I drove to Des Moines, Iowa. I knocked on my girlfriend's door. I said, we need to talk. She said, okay. I'm pretty sure she thought I was going to propose because we'd been talking about getting married just a few weeks earlier. And instead, you know, I dropped the bomb. I said, you know, I just have to tell you something. What I've been doing with you is wrong. And I want to ask you to forgive me. I've wronged you. And I'm very, very sorry. I'm more sorry that I've wronged God. I just want you to know I've turned my life over to Him tonight. And I'll never be back here again. Our relationship is over. Not because you're an awful girl, because I think you're ugly, because I think you're unworthy. It has nothing to do with that. I want you to know that. It's because this has been an idol in my life. You have been before God. Immorality has controlled my life. And I, won't, I, I, I don't want that anymore. And I walked away. And I walked away. Some of you, maybe, you're in that kind of a situation, you need to walk away. Or maybe some of you are more close to getting married and the person knows the Lord, but you're struggling. Just get some help. Just reach out and get some help. You know, my wife and I, I'm not going to lie to you. If you've heard my tapes before, then you know this story. My wife and I fell before we were married. I never, it's one of the reasons I wanted a quick wedding. It was one of the reasons I never wanted to wait the two years to try to honor parents that we ended up waiting. I knew this is going to be huge. My life is going to be so hard. And Paul says it's better to marry, marry than to burn with passion. Well, we fell. Fortunately, we had a pastor in our life, you know, that we could go talk to, although it was the scariest thing that I'd ever done in my life. I didn't want to admit it. I felt like such a failure. We went over that night, and we talked to him, and, and he was so gracious to us and so helpful. And he, and he gave me immediate things to do. He said, first of all, Mark, you're going to have to realize, you and Kathy, for the rest of your engagement, you just can't be alone. I always, pardon? We can't be alone? You can't be alone, Mark, because you've, you've opened this. It'll be really easy to fall back into. So what I want you to do is find a trusted friend that you can take around as a chaperone. Uh, just between you and me, I was really serious about wanting to do what God wanted us to do, so we did it. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth went with us everywhere. We went shopping for wedding stuff, or when we were hanging out just talking, she'd sit over in a booth, just kind of over there. Second thing I did is Rick said, you know, Mark, you need, you need to live with someone who can help keep you a little bit more accountable. So I want you to move in with Rick. Some of you know Rick Whitney. He'll be speaking to you when we're all at the couples conference. Rick was just married then, had a little baby. He said, you go, you know, this friend of mine, he was leaving for a world tour the very next day. So he didn't know if I was going to do any of this. He said, but you just call Rick on the phone and tell him I thought it would be a good idea. So I did. Rick said, okay, move your stuff. Come on over. So I mowed my sleeping bags. about all I had in those days. All in a duffel bag and a, and a sleeping bag I owned. And there I was on the floor until I got married. It was hard. It was painful. I never wanted to wait all that time. It was kind of like I was caught between a rock and a hard place, you know. But even then, did a lot of damage to our relationship. Because there were things previous to that that I didn't even know about. That, you know, we just brought to this relationship. God used them in my life, and I'm very thankful for them. I just want to help you. If I can ever help you, I want you to know something. You just pick up the phone and call. And I'd be glad to visit with you. I mean that. I love you. I care about your lives. 
I care about where you're at in your lives. I care about helping you. I want to see sin destroy you, and I want to see you live up to what God called you to live. So the world will stand up and take notice of you, that you're different, that you're unique. I know some of you gals get pressured by your family. I've talked to more than many young women who've called and said, Mark, it's so hard when I go home. My family wants to know who I'm dating. Am I getting married? When I tell them, well, no, I'm not dating. I'm trusting God. They laugh at me. I've had mothers that have told their daughters, you ought to be sleeping with them. You ought to figure this stuff out first. Getting persecuted because they're not sleeping with a guy they're thinking of marrying. It's hard to be a Christian. I know that. I understand that. But it's worthy. It's worth it. And the Lord's worthy of it. Um, Let's bow our heads. I could go on, but let's just pray. Lord, I want to thank you for these men and women. And Lord, my goodness, I just thank you. You made us men and women. What a boring world it would be if we were all men. And what a boring world it would be if we were all female. Lord, you made this beautiful thing called men and women. You made a sex. You made it. You didn't make it to be something to be ashamed of. You didn't make it to be something to dread. But you made it for a marriage relationship. You created marriage. And I know, Lord, that for the most part, probably most of the people in this room would like to be married. I know they struggle with their passions. I know they struggle with their desires. I ask you to help them, Lord. I ask you to help us. Help us to walk worthy of you. Help us to keep going after you. Help us not to get discouraged by the struggle of our flesh, by the thoughts that come to our mind. Help us to keep striving to go after godliness and to apply the grace of God and your forgiveness to our failures. You strengthen these young men and women, Lord. Help them. Help them tonight, if they need to, to change, as we would say, repent. Help them to do that. Help them to have the courage to stand up and say, you know, I don't, I, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to go after this high calling that God has for me. Help them to do that. Help them, Lord, if they would, to confide in a, another Christian friend, to ask for prayer, and to get help and to realize there's nothing in the body of Christ that we need to be ashamed of. We can come to one another and get help. Help us, Lord, as men and women. Please help us as brothers and sisters to be upright and holy in the way we treat our sisters. Help us to look out always for their best interest. Help us to be men that are noble in heart. I ask you, Lord, to help the ladies here today to remember that charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she should be praised. And I ask you, Lord, to help them. We live in a world, nothing wrong with being fashionable. And there's nothing at all wrong, Lord, with being attractive. Help us to differentiate between attractive and sensual. Help us to be people that really do look out for each other's conscience and look out for each other's interest. In Jesus' name, amen.